You see, I've just sold the Lil Lisa recycling plant for $120 million. Congratulations. Oh, don't congratulate me. Congratulate Bay State Fish Sticks. As my advisor, you're entitled to 10% of the proceeds. <gasps> Lise, have I told you lately that I love you? Wow, I've never seen so much money. Oh, but I can't accept that, knowing where it came from. Can I, Mom? Lisa, you do whatever your conscience tells you. Mm. No. You did the right thing, sweetheart. Four-finger discount, dude. Welcome to Four Finger Discount. This week we are here to review The Old Man and the Lisa. I am Dando. I am Mitch. A big Merry Christmas to all of our listeners out there. Oh, I guess it's a Merry Christmas last week for the free feed and Merry Christmas this week for well, the patrons. Merry Christmas for a few days ago to everyone else. Yeah. But free feed listeners, patrons, we love them all the same, don't we, Mitch? Of course we do. And it's still holiday season. So, you know, the Boxing Day test is on if you're listening to this on the free feed and... The Perth test has just finished, if you're listening to it on the Patreon feed. The game's just finished? Well, it's, I I'm watching it now, but will have oh. just finished. It's not a live show, Dando. <laughs> I know that. You know, it's funny, you bring up cricket, right? Uh, you're a much bigger cricket fan than I am. You actually play cricket. I've never actually played local cricket or anything. But, And I've sort of lost interest over the last couple of years, but the fact that Australia is now like the underdog, I, I now care more. It's weird. Yeah, there's something about Australia being the little team that could at the moment, by virtue of not having our two best players. Mm. And they, yeah, like, it's it's interesting to watch and not expect to win, which has been a very un-Australian thing for a long time. Like, even though the last few years they've sort of been a little bit more hit and miss, certainly at home you could bank on winning the winning a home series was just, you know, it's always a given. Uh, whereas this year it's going to be a genuinely great achievement if they can manage to win and we've been spoiled our whole lives really i mean i mean you know cricket australia used to be so Mm. good now they're not so good but they were so good for so long when we were kids and myself it sounds arrogant myself being a geelong supporter yourself being a hawthorne supporter two incredibly good teams in the afl over the last decade or so it's like we've just gotten used to winning it's 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 like i said it sounds arrogant but we're just used to winning yeah yeah we've we've had a couple great sort of dynasties of of in both AFL and in cricket over the our lifetime. But anyway, the old man and the Lisa, this was an episode I was really looking forward to going back and reviewing because mm-hmm. I, it was one of the first ones I remember going back and watching on television. It's got a real nostalgic connection with me. And again, it's just one of those episodes that I knew I always loved it, but watching it now for this review, I've forgotten just how much I loved it. It was really funny. Yeah, this one for me was one that I'd missed when I was younger and it probably wasn't until I was a teenager where I was re-watching it on the DVDs. Came across this one and when I read the synopsis of it, I really couldn't remember any of it. So, when I did watch this, you know, maybe 10-ish, 12 years ago for the first time, it blew me away just how funny it was. It's uh, it's a really, really underrated episode you know when you're a kid and you take the simpsons on tv and you just watch you watch those tapes over and over and over again that was like your best source to watch the simpsons you try and cut out the ads and whatnot well sometimes you'd miss the start of the episodes and this was an episode that i did that i remember this was at the start of one of my tapes and i missed 
almost essentially the first act. It, it came in where Lisa goes, ha, huh, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. So I remember for so long that they never played this episode on TV and I had to wait to try and find out what actually happened at the start of this episode because it was before the internet and it was, you know, you couldn't just go in and read an episode guide. Mm-hmm. It took me so long to actually find out what actually happened. I didn't even know Bret Hart was in this episode. For no reason. And it's uh, the one thing about the start that had uh, struck me as a little odd is that it's weird that Mr. Burns' downfall is propagated just by the fact that Lisa points out to him that he has less money than he realized. Like, it, it feels like she points that out and once the knowledge becomes true, or like, sorry, once it becomes knowledge to him, then it becomes true in reality. Whereas up until this point, he was oblivious and everything was fine. What I also found odd was Smithers, right? So essentially, he's known that Mr. Burns was losing money all these years. To me, that just sounds weird. Like, Smithers shouldn't be another one of the yes men. I understand the lawyers, but Smithers, wouldn't he? Wouldn't it be beneficial for him to not let Mr. Burns continue to fail and lose all of his money like he has been? Why, why would he let it happen? Yeah, you would think that he would want him to come out on top, but I guess he'd be conflicted between wanting Mr. Burns to do well and you know his own job security, as well as not wanting to upset Mr. Burns, and he knows that Mr. Burns does not like people that say no. But still, this episode, it's, it's really unique in the sense that you got two characters here in Lisa and Mr. Burns, and they're two characters that couldn't be any more opposite, and you would never expect them to be friends, let alone form a business partnership. And that's what we get here. I know they sort of, they be friends for a little moment in a later episode, like season 17-ish or something, something of a, a ram. I can't quite remember. Yet. Mr. Burns had to get a photo of Lisa smiling for some reason. Anyway, that's a later episode, but it's not like this one. This, this episode's entirely about Lisa and Mr. Burns forming a partnership. You never, ever, in a million years, would have thought that it would have happened before this episode aired, you know? Yeah. And it'd also be really difficult to ever do it again where Lisa buys into the fact that he's a changed man. That's true. once she's been duped in the way she is in this episode, like, she could never fall for that again. One thing that John Swartzwater did really well from a writing perspective, I mean, the guy's a genius. He's written some of the best episodes of all time, but was it was the fact that he was able to make us as viewers, you know, like, almost like feel sympathy for Mr. Burns, despite the fact that he's a, a horrible, horrible human being who who really, he deserves everything that he had coming to him here in this episode. He was, he'd was he been a horrible person for so long. Uh, yet I sat there feeling sorry for the guy. It was just amazing writing. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with the acting as well. The performance is really great from Harry in this episode. But yeah, yeah. The Simpsons has always been really good at that. And where it can, like, it's it can sometimes be a weakness in that sometimes characters have no consistency from one episode to the next. It can also be a great strength that you can completely reset the table every episode and just with a couple music cues and some writing cues, you suddenly take the most hated character in the town and turn him into someone that, you know, you get another dimension to and you start to instantly feel sorry for when you see him, you know, lose everything and then become this sort of fish out of water. Acting plays a big part, like you said, and so does the the, uh, the writing, but still... We also need to give kudos to the animation because they did a slight change to his design, Mr. Burns' design, mm. to make him feel and look sympathetic. Yeah. They, they got rid of the scowl, so he does, he's not frowning the whole episode. It's just a slight thing, like just removing one line, and Mr. Burns all of a sudden just feels and looks like a completely new character. Yeah, sort of deer in the headlights eyes and just a softer face in general, and that does go a long way to 
thinking, oh, you know, I, I'll, I'll help this guy. I'll take this guy down to the supermarket and show him the ropes. Yeah, and, and there's been a couple of episodes in the past, or a couple of moments. I think it's one that comes to mind is Home of the Smithers, where Mr. Burns is is self-sufficient and independent. Mm-hmm. Where there, he was more, you know, with it. Like here, like you said, he's more like a deer in the headlights. He, he's yeah. lost. He's lost all of his money. He's never really been in this situation before. And uh, I don't know. I just, I just love how... He wants to help. And that, that scene where he's, he gets on the bus, I'm riding the bus. <laughs> but, and, and everything at the supermarket, it just makes yeah. you think like, you know, good on you, man. Like, you want to go out and you want to help some of this. You want to do something. He's, it, it's, I don't know. I just, I felt like just saying, good on you. Thumbs up. Le- at least you're trying. Yeah. You ride that bus. I like the way that he just tells the bus driver where he wants to go. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even pay him anything. Yeah. But you, still, you know what's weird though? Another thing that's weird was, Okay, so Mr. Burns, the character, at the start of this episode, he's just the normal Mr. Burns. I find it hard to believe that Mr. Burns, the character, would spend any time or any of his free time going to the elementary school to give the kids advice. I mean, he has no nothing to gain from it. To me, it just, it just felt like maybe a, a way to get Lisa and Mr. Burns in the room together. That's um, the only way they could think of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, there'd be no reason for him to be doing it without there being something in it for him. It, uh, that is a little unusual. I also want to give a shout out, Mitch, to one of the animators of this episode. Uh, his name is either Tommy or Tomi, T-O-M-I, uh, Yamaguchi. He, they mentioned this in the audio commentary. You know that scene where Mr. Burns wipes the sea clean and he drags all the animals in to be churned mm. up into slurry? All six-pack holders? Yeah. Well, this Tomi or Tommy, he drew all of those six-pack holders by hand. Oh, that's like Leonardo da Vinci painting the Sistine Chapel. The guy would have gone insane. It's crazy, isn't it? I, I heard that and I was like, that guy needs to get a shout out because that is incredible work. Yeah. He would have had carpal tunnel syndrome by the end of that. Like, learn to copy and paste, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to ask you, like, we both really enjoyed this episode. We both loved it. But do you think there's anything that the episode could have done better in any way? Oh, I don't know. Like, I really don't think there's a huge amount that I don't like about this episode, to be perfectly honest. There's... Pretty much everything is bang on. There's only one joke that I thought was a little bit lame and a little bit un-Simpsons-y, and it was the uh, Marge Marge talking to Lisa about how no one likes a bragger, and then, like, isn't that right, Homer? Yeah, and then Marge gives it back the C. Like, that felt like a joke from Two and a Half Men more than a joke from The Simpsons. Um, But that's nitpicking. Like, that's super nitpicky. It was still... Yeah. yeah, it's like the scene was just created purely for that gag. It goes for like 15 yep. seconds. I was the same. I was sitting there thinking it, it just didn't need to be there. It just felt like filler. But uh, anyway, but enough of the negatives. What was your favorite moment from the episode? Oh, it was so hard to choose for me, to be perfectly honest. Um, I really enjoyed Homer's, li- like, honorable mention, Homer's line delivery on March when yes, Lisa tells really, her really that good. she's mixing, you know, polyethylene with poly something or other else obviously ketchup catsup is going to get a run for a lot of people in this episode but for me it's harry's acting when monty is reading through the um stock market crash of 1929 oh no oh oh dear no (laughs) it's just just so funny that he could be that oblivious smithers why did you tell me about this Stock market crash. And investing in slavery. <laughs> it's just Mr. Burns. Yeah, well, oh, that's one of my trivia questions ruined. But, oh, um, I'm sorry. That's all right. Confederated <laughs> slave holdings. How are they doing? Yeah. Uh, steady. Well, my favorite moment from the episode, I always now tend to pick the moments that make me laugh the most, the ones that make me really laugh out loud. 
And I don't know why, but for this episode, it was the moment where Mr. Burns goes to see Lisa at the Simpsons house. Homer answers. And Mr. Burns just kicks off with, Sir, we've never met before. Yes. <laughs> like the, the guy just, it's just a recurring game. The guy just can never remember Homer. It's just, I just love it. I just, the way it was delivered was yeah. just amazing. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like was when they acknowledge Maggie. And Maggie does like the finger point with the, with the fingers, like the gun. Like Maggie is is self aware that she was the one that shot Mr. Burns. As a baby, it just I don't know. It shouldn't bother me, but it's just like as a baby, she shouldn't be behaving that way. It just took me out of the moment a little bit. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I think yeah, it, yeah I actually missed that because I was looking away from the screen. But I now that you've said that, I do remember it. Yeah, it's not it's not it just didn't need to be there. From this day forward, your names will be. Okay, new names. Mitch, did you write a new name for yourself? And did you ask the patrons for your new name this week in the Four Finger Discount exclusive Patreon? Uh, I did I did both. You did both? Um, well done. <laughs> mine was, it's the little 10 percenters that count. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Pickering went nuts submitting three. Went nuts? Uh, I'll choose, well, Beauty and the Man Beast. Yeah. Um, no, I think his best one was Con Hair. Con, oh yeah, yeah, that works, yeah. Jonathan Rossi, Tales from the Catsabile. Lloyd Mitchell, <laughs> I think, gets the pick this week with From Ragamuffins to Riches. I, I was trying to think of a name that would have Ragamuffin in it because I just love that word. Just pronouncing it. Ragamuffin is really just funny. a great word. And I love that it's such a great um, planting of that joke in the dictionary and you really don't think it's going to come back to it. And then, But no, because he's landed on R and he's sort of running through the R words he knows and hits Ragamuffin, that's what comes out of his mouth. It's really, really funny. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? That's actually a good segue into this segment. Next question. You there, eating the paste. And I say it was a good segue because my first question is in relation to ragamuffin. <laughs> in Mr. Burns' mind dictionary, he's gone through different words, and what example does it give for the word ragamuffin? Because it gives a, it gives a definition. What's the example it gives? Oh, I didn't catch the example, and I won't cheat by looking at Frinkiak. So... No. Well, his uh, mind dictionary says it is a poorly clothed, often dirty child. <laughs> oh, okay. So just the, yeah, gotcha. I th- I thought it might I thought it might have had like e.g. somebody. Um. So one of my questions already ruined, as I mentioned. What did Skinner use to tie up the newspaper bundles? Oh, and he spent more money driving down to the shop on fuel than. Oh wait. Um. Oh, mm. uh, is it those little plastic things that? You tie, you know, there's like they're like little belts. You put the, you sort of like a loop around and you pull it tight. Uh, oh, not so much. It was twine. Oh, twine. Yes, of course it is. No, oh, not twine. Is no, it's not twine. I was thinking of the little plastic things. Uh, don't worry. Incorrect. <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, my next question was, what years did Mr. Burns steal Christmas? Eighty-one through eighty-five. That is correct. <laughs> I just love that. Stole Christmas. <laughs> uh, yes, I do love that. Four consecutive Christmas. Well, five consecutive Christmases. Where does Burns ride the trolley to and from? Ride the trolley. Yeah, he says that a nickel could buy you a steak dinner. Do a, yeah, and then still have enough to ride the trolley from oh. somewhere to somewhere else. Nah, I've got no idea at all. Sorry. Battery Park to the Polo Grounds. And that makes sense, Mr. Burns playing polo. Yep, okay. Uh, and my final question mm. is, which band, which real-life band did Mr. Burns quote in this episode? The Beatles? Nope. But, well, I'll give you one more guess. It was that era, like 60s, 70s rock. Mm. A, a very, um, very well-known band from that era. Yeah, I, I've forgotten what the actual quote is. I just knew that it was from that vintage. Uh, can you remind me of the quote? Shine on, you crazy diamond. Oh, shine on, you crazy diamond. Um. <laughs> no, now I've just got Jet Shine On stuck in my head. So, <laughs> it was uh, uh, Pink Floyd. Oh, it was very, a Pink very Floyd. Very, very famous okay. band. <laughs> Damn. 
You know, I mean, you're not a huge you know, music guy, particularly older music anyway, so I wasn't uh, expecting you to No, I do like Pink Floyd, but I've, you know, I've like Dark Side of the Moon and that sort of stuff, but yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. fully into the biographies of all of those bands. I do think that of that era, you could attribute any quote to any one of those bands slash people and it all makes sense. It doesn't really matter who said it. Like, if you said, who said Shine On Your Crazy Diamond and I said David Bowie, and no one knew the answer. They'd just go, oh, yeah, that sounds like something Bowie would say. Mark Bolan, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple. Mm. I don't know that Deep Purple ever said anything. But of course they did. They said Smoke on the Water. <laughs> they sang Smoke on the Water, but did they ever say anything? Oh, yeah, fair point. I don't think I've ever actually seen an interview of Deep Purple. I've just heard their yeah. songs. Maybe they just sang. They didn't actually speak words. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. yes. But uh, that is my trivia for this week. Mitch, is there anything else you want to mention to the listeners before we get into the main review? I think, actually, you know what? There is one thing. Uh, we need to remind all the listeners. So, next week is Christmas, all right? And which means we're going to be taking a week off from doing reviews. There's going to be no review next week. Image We Trust is coming up the following week. Next week, though, you're still going to get a show, but what you're going to be getting is the Mitch and Dando Christmas special featuring our wives, Ash and Nicola. Ah, yeah. One of those things that we don't plan and we'll see what happens. And that's what the fun of it is. We just we get the recorder, we get the mics out, we get the wives on, we have a good laugh, a couple of drinks. Nicola can actually drink now because she's no longer pregnant with Elliot. Elliot's now in the world. I'm actually hoping to try and get Elliot on the podcast in some way, whether he's crying or he's laughing or something. I just want to get him on the show in some way. Maybe, maybe, you know what? Maybe you can get him to speak. Maybe that could be your job. You can try and get Elliot to say his first words. I don't think that I should be the one that has such a responsibility, <laughs> to be honest. Uncle Mitch, my soul is too cold. My teeth hurt. Are your teeth hurt? Your freaking teeth hurt. But it's too freaking bad, okay? <laughs> oh, man. Alrighty, so... The original air date for the old man and the Lisa was April 20th, 1997. There was no chalk gag, but the couch gag was the one where it's like the whack-a-mole game. And the Simpsons family coming up and it's like circus music. Oh, it's, I guess it's not circus music. It's just sort of like uh, it's fair music. It's circus music, isn't it? Oh, it's the clown music when they're all on fire. That's it. Yeah, I knew I'd heard it somewhere. Yeah, it's when, yeah, when, when Homer's imagining everyone on fire as clowns. Yeah, that's it. But uh, So that music's playing. Homer is the one family member to actually get bonked in the head. In the whack-a-mole game, that's the couch gag. But uh, the episode kicks off with Lisa recycling, doesn't it, Mitchell? It certainly does. In the middle of the night, waking Marge up, um, I love the visual gag of her bed hair just staying in place until she kind of rumples it free. Yeah. You know, I actually liked the um, the fact that Homer and Bart had been up all night watching a movie marathon. Mm. It reminded, this scene always reminds me of my dad and I on grand final well, morning, I guess you could say, waking up from grand final morning, because... Back in the day, before we had the Fox Footy Channel, the only way to watch all the old grand final games and not have to spend a fortune getting the game specially ordered from the AFL website, the name of game thing, whatever it was, was the grand final, either they'd play grand final marathons. My dad and I, it was like our tradition, we'd stay up all night watching the grand final marathons. It was just great. And whenever I see Homer and Bart waking up in this scene here, it reminds me of my dad and I every grand final morning waking up after a long night and watching the grand final moments. I think moments like that, that's why this episode has that nostalgic connection for myself. Yeah. Did you ever stay up to watch old sort of schlock horror movies the way these guys have? Colonel Dracula Joins the Navy, which I feel is a movie that should have starred Leslie Nielsen. You know what? I can actually, yeah, I I can see that and I would pay good money to watch it. (laughs) But my favourite part about this whole thing was the bleh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, so we're back in the, in the kitchen and the family's all walked in wondering what Lisa's doing and Bart immediately just shits on Lisa uh, it's funny because he says something here that I'm sure a lot of people believe about the, the sun <laughs> that once the sun burns out the planet is doomed well it does except that's 4.3 billion years away and yeah yeah recycling is probably more of a pressing concern 
Marge tries to, to support Lisa and tries to help, but she buggers it all up. <laughs> Poor Marge. She, she tried anyway. And the, the funny thing is, Homer hangs shit on her. The funny thing about this is the fact that, obviously, Homer has no idea what he's talking about either. <laughs> yeah. Poly- polyethylene and polyurethane, they were the, the two types of plastic that she was mixing for those playing at home. Now, you know what? I watched this episode twice. That's what I tend to do now with the, with the reviews is... I'll watch it once and just try and soak it all in. Just enjoy it. Just watch it. Cause I, I haven't watched it for a long time. That's what I do now. I I avoid watching the episodes that we're going to be reviewing for a good you know couple of months, just as, just so it feels new and fresh as as much as possible. Anyway, hmm. and then I'll go back and watch it again, and I'll pause and stop and write notes down and really try and take as much in as I possibly can. Well, for this one here, I didn't pick up on it until I watched it that second time. That they actually plant the seed of the six pack holder at the start, where Lisa points it out that they kill millions and millions of fish. Like she's holding it in the hand, she points it out. I just thought it was a nice little touch there that I've never really picked up on it. They're planting the seed for the like the grand finale, I guess you could say, with Mr. Burns' evil plan, right at the start of the episode. Yeah. Then we get the moment where Homer says he, he's got some paper as well to recycle and he starts throwing the books in the bin. I just I just felt this was really weird acting from Dan. Dan never really gets much wrong, but here I couldn't work out was Homer was he upset? Was he happy? Was he really, really satisfied? It was just a really weird sound that Homer was making, throwing these books in the bin. (laughs) Dad, you're not supposed to have fun recycling. This is serious. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I guess they had to go for something. I presume that Dan wouldn't have improved that, like that would have been in the script. But, uh, yeah, look, just... It was one joke that didn't land for me, but it was the only one really in the episode. It was one of those jokes for me where, oh, look, for example, I think this would have worked better if Homer had said, I've got an idea, and he runs off and he brings back, you know, like really important books like uh, kids, uh, books from the kids' past or yeah. something they've worked on for a school assignment or whatever. He starts yeah. throwing that in the bin and then he, everyone looks at him with a big frown. He looks up with a big smile like, hmm, hmm, he look at me, look, he proud of me, look what I've done. And the family are just looking at him with a big frown and Marge is, hmm, or Lisa even. I think that would have been a better way to have this joke rather than have him do that really weird, like, laugh, I guess you could say. Yeah. Next up is Skinner and the what a load of garbage and the uh, Junior Achievers Club. And what they're doing is they're trying to recycle to save as much money as they can to raise enough money to go for a trip to Albany. Would I be wrong in saying that this would be a throwback to uh, Steamed Hams? Because I, I don't know. It's the only other time I can remember them mentioning Albany in the show. Oh, you? yeah? Okay. I mean, is, it, is the Skinner character from Albany? Because you know how he says in the Steamed Hams thing, it's, it's an old family tradition and you know, it's an Albany expression. It's an Albany expression? Yeah, possibly. I don't know if it's ever been made canon. Yeah, neither. But I just thought it was... For me, it was just too specific for it not to be a throwback to that scene. I may be looking Mm. way too much into it, but I just like to think that this may have been a little throwback to one of the greatest moments in the history of the show, the Steamed Hand segment. (laughs) But anyway, so then when Mr. Burns arrives to give his speech, and what a speech it is. (laughs) How to succeed in business, and it's a fantastic speech. I would love to see... (laughs) It really um, is. Actually, someone should do this, uh, animate this as a TED Talk, get Burns on stage with this exact dialogue... Family, religion, friendship. These are the three demons you must slay if you wish to succeed in business. And I know not always, but like this, his advice, it's, it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. When opportunity knocks, you don't want to be driving to the maternity hospital. Or spending your time at some phony church or whatever. <laughs> A phony baloney church. Or synagogue. Skinner, meanwhile, is the only one who's actually interested in hearing Mr. Benz's speech because they're... Eight-year-old kids, why would they give a yeah. shit about what Mr. Burns is telling them about business? They're not interested at all. But then Skinner asked the question. Yeah. 
any real Are there questions? any real questions? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was so good. And I love that they didn't have Mr. Burns, I'm oh no, sorry, Mr. Burns, uh, Skinner looked disappointed and sad after that mm. moment because I lo- it's just so great that he's still enthusiastic the entire way through that scene. <laughs> well, I, I think he's just playing the role for the kids, personally. I don't think he was genuinely excited for Mr. Burns. He knows that Mr. Burns is evil, but, you know, the educator in him is like, well, someone's got to... Someone's got to act like they're into this. Yeah, I guess you're right, because the teachers used to have to do that when we were at primary school, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, because no kid's going to ask a question. Yeah, we'd be secretly sitting there playing on our Game Boys, not asking any questions, and yeah. to prevent the other uh, guests from being embarrassed that no one's asking a question, the teacher would then ask one. <laughs> yeah, so that's when the teacher perks up. It's like, oh, God, God, um, what were they talking about? I was paying nothing. Ah, uh, shit. Lisa then asks Mr. Burns if the plant has a recycling program. And not only does it not have a recycling program, but Mr. Burns doesn't even know what the word recycling means, does he? <laughs> no. He does know what uh, redskin means. He does, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And ragamuffin. <laughs> Red, redskin, ragamuffin. I like that redskin had offensive term next to it. So it's like he knew that... Uh, even Mr. Burns was like, no, you can't say that anymore. There's another thing here, right, where Lisa points out that you mentioned in your most recent autobiography, and she holds up the book, uh, The Rainbow... Oh, what's it called? The Will There Ever Be a Rainbow? Will There Ever Be a Rainbow? That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she points out, you know, you've mentioned that you had $200 million. It just felt weird that... And I know time doesn't technically elapse in the Springfield universe and the Simpsons universe. It just felt weird that she held up something from season two. I don't know. It just it just seemed odd to me that they'd go... They'd such, it was such a big throwback, like six seasons ago. So what are they trying to say here for like six seasons, Mr. Burns has just like had no money or... Uh, well, he had $100 million. That's not no money. So it's just... It's declined... Since then. Yeah, I, I, I get you. But he's losing money, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Smithers has done nothing about it for six whole years or six seasons. What a shit assistant. <laughs> yeah, Smithers has done well to keep his job in this episode, to be honest. Yes. <laughs> you never heard of recycling? It means to reuse things to conserve our natural resources. Oh, so Mother Nature needs a favour. Well, maybe she should have thought of that when she was besetting us with droughts and floods and poison monkeys. Nature started the fight for survival, and now she wants to quit because she's losing, well, I say, hard cheese. But nature's not our enemy. Well, surely you agree we can do without her? No, I don't agree. No? How dare you question Mr. Burns? I'll handle it, Smithers. <laughs> Shut up, little girl. If I had spent my life listening to dismal Doras like you, I wouldn't be worth $200 million today. But according to your most recent biography, you only have $100 million today. I've... Uh, I've... <laughs> um, actually, sir, it's uh, considerably less than that. I, um, have to go. Great acting there from Harry. Just Mr. Burns is just... It instantly gone from powerful to broken man. Just absolutely incredible yeah. delivery there from Harry. So Mr. Burns has now called in all of his yes-men lawyers, and he wants some answers. I've called you all here because I need some honest answers. What is my current financial situation? Great. Great. I hear great. All right, well, let's have a look at my stock portfolio. Hmm. Confederated slave holdings. How's that doing? It's, uh, uh, steady. I'm sure all your stocks are doing well, sir. After all, you chose them. Mm-hmm. Mm. If you had to be a yes man to save your job, do you think you could bring yourself to do it? I, I, I don't think I could. No. No, I've, I've just... No, I really couldn't do it. Because I've worked... I think we all have. We've all worked with a few yes men over the years. And you think... I just look at them and I'm just like, I actually just despise you as a person. <laughs> yeah. I. It's Yeah. I mean, a job is important, but by the same token, I just would be miserable. 
I could maybe do it for like a couple weeks while looking for another job and then I'd be out of there. And you know what? They're, they're always the first ones to badmouth their boss behind their back as well. Yes, they are. Scumbag, yes, men. Every one of them. So anyway, so Mr. Burns hasn't checked his stocks since 19, September 1929. What happened after that, Mitch? Well, the economy crashed and led to the Great Depression. Just, you know, brief history lesson. Here's where I stopped checking it last time. September 1929... Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Smithers, why didn't you tell me about this market crash? Um, well, sir, it happened 25 years before I was born. Oh, that's your excuse for everything. So in order to, uh, to fix the problems and fix the ways of losing all his money, he calls upon a, uh, an aggressive trading strategy. And what I liked here was, was the music cue because you're watching this and because of the music, you're thinking he's making the right decisions when really he's not. Yeah, it's, it's upbeat. It's, um, well... I don't. Th- I think uh, it's more a joke of the juxtaposition of being upbeat, but realistically, you know that this is going to fail because he's been shown in the last four minutes to be very bad at business. Sink the rest into the Baltimore Opera Hat Company. I don't think you need a financial degree to know that that's probably not a wise investment. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Skinner, they've taken all, and the kids have taken all the stuff to the recycling plant, and he's really pissed off that they've only raised like seventy-five cents. The best part about this mm. whole scene, there is to be no more recycling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I thought you would have loved this scene because you've been calling for the, the Ralph crying gag to be a recurring gag on the show. It seems that we're actually getting it in season eight. Well, twi- two episodes is not a recurring gag, but it's close. No, no, no. Three times. Grey School Confidential uh, with, with the donkey, putting the tail on the donkey. And then you had the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show. And now this one. Oh, I did it in Itchy and Scratchy show as well. Okay, yep, that counts. Yeah, it's like three times in the last six episodes. That's pretty recurring to me. Yep. I wish they had stuck with it. We cut back to Mr. Burns, and now he's officially lost all of his money. He's made all the wrong moves this time, all because his yes-men lawyers told him he was doing the right moves once again. And this is where the music changes, but this time it's the... I guess you could call this the, uh, the evil Mr. Burns music. This is the music that cues when he's going to do something evil or say something evil. And he's finally realized that these lawyers are all yes-men. And I love that they, they agree with that. You're all yes-men, aren't you? Oh, yes, sir, yes. <laughs> uh, I like the, the line, what will I do? Well, the first thing you'll have to do is to move out of the bank's house. That, maybe it's because I work in a bank, but I took a lot of joy out of that sentence. And you know what? It was actually quite sad at this moment. Like I said at the start of the episode, despite the fact that he's a horrible, horrible person, he probably deserves all of this. He just seems so real in this moment when he's lost everything. He, he, he doesn't know what to do. He's never experienced this before. His whole life, he's had money. Smithers, take out another mortgage on the plant. Well, the bank has already foreclosed on a plant. And your house, sir. But what will I do? Well, the first thing you'll have to do is move out of the bank's house. I'll help you pack. Smithers doesn't really seem all that concerned that this is all happening to Mr. Burns, does he? He seems just not bothered by it at all. No, like, he doesn't seem all that sympathetic either. Then we're at Mr. Burns' mansion, and the place is getting emptied out, and this is where we get Bret Hart. And I'm sure a pro wrestler such as yourself will appreciate all the closet space, Hitman. Ooh, this place has got old man stink. Ooh. Don't listen to him, sir. You've got an enchanting musk. You're the wrestling man. Can you explain? I mean, I know Bret Hart. I know the Hitman and the that in this time, the Attitude Era was probably rating, if not as highly as it ever did, it would have been very, you know, it was very popular. But is this just a cameo for the sake of a cameo? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess it was just a cameo. because, oh, oh no, Although, at this point in time, 
in the WWF, that's what it was in 1997, Bret Hart, in April 97, yeah, Bret Hart would have been still the top guy, him and Shawn Michaels, so he would have been one of the biggest names mm. in wrestling at that point, Bret Hart still. So it would have been a big deal to get, you know, big name wrestler when wrestling was starting to get really, really popular. But there's no real reason other than that. There's no link to a mansion or anything. It was just, let's get Bret Hart, the, the wrestler, on the show. I guess they were wrestling fans, maybe? I don't know. Is there any Fox crossover to WWE or WWF back then? I don't think so. I know SmackDown's going to be going to Fox in 2020 or something, but 1997, now there was no connection at all with okay. Fox and, and wrestling. Not that I know of, anyway. Was Steve Austin stone cold at this time, or was he still stunning Steve in the Hollywood Blondes? He had... Uh, well, firstly, I'm very impressed that you knew that. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, he was stone cold Steve Austin, so he'd fought Bret Hart a month prior to this airing at WrestleMania. So, well, that was the match that sort of put Stone Cold on the map, so he'd now become the badass, but he wasn't at the heights. He wasn't the stone cold Steve Austin that the world knew him for yet. He was just becoming stone cold Steve Austin at this point. Do you think there would have been a temptation for Bret Hart to have put... Burns in a sharpshooter. That would have been pretty cool to see. <laughs> but uh, have I got that finisher right? It was the sharpshooter. From- you did, yeah, you did. That, don't keep bragging. I, I'm very impressed of you of your wrestling knowledge. But um, wrestling credentials. I think see Bret Hart. He was one of those people. He was kind of straight laced and serious. I don't think he would have wanted his character to have been beaten up and beating up an old man on television. So I'm pretty sure that would never have happened. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. So he wasn't a heel. He was a good guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he was a good guy. He was uh, the, the John Cena or the, the Rock of, uh, of, of his time. All right. And I ask these questions not to derail this into a wrestling conversation, but because I do feel like there'd be a lot of people, particularly if you weren't into wrestling, going, who the hell is Bret Hart and why is he in my Simpsons episode? Yeah, and why is he buying Benz's mansion? It just seems very out of character and weird. <laughs> yeah. On the subject, now I am derailing it, but on the subject, I watched Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, taking on... Mike Tyson on YouTube recently, the one where like Mike was in the WWF and where he just like pushed him in the chest and the fight. Yeah, and they just sort of erupted into a bunch of push and shove. And Shane Pudding Face McMahon, a young, a young Pudding Face (laughs) in the midst of it all, was it was really entertaining for me to see because I hadn't seen Shane McMahon in a long time, and before I actually recognised him, I was like, this guy's face looks like a pudding. and then it clicked. How good is that moment, though, where McMahon's like, you ruined it, Austin, you ruined it. Look, you just, you, you believe, when you were a kid watching that, you believe this shit was real. <laughs> uh, would it be all right if I kept this portrait to remind me of better times? Why would I want a picture of a pitiful pencil neck geek? Yeah, why indeed. I'll make sure he forwards your social security check, sir. Uh, Excellent. Over the breakfast table, and Marge is annoyed that Homer didn't tell her that Mr. Burns lost all his money. Like, why why didn't you tell me? And Homer's like, well, I don't have to tell you everything. You told me about that candy bar you found three times. Then Bart's like, you you found a chocolate? Yes, gather around, my son. (laughs) And then, yeah, you get here a thing that happens a couple times in this episode where a character is talking... And it just sort of fades off and they get cut off by another character. It happens later when Barney is talking about not licking the windows. So you get, gather around and I shall tell you a tale. And then Homer doesn't stop. He continues speaking a little bit in the background when Lisa comes in with, I don't normally laugh at other people's uh, misfortunes. Really? You can hear it over the top? I didn't even pick up on that. You can't necessarily make out dialogue, but there's still noise that's going on in the background. It's not a clean 
I stop talking and now you start talking. I guess that's real though, because when you're having a yeah. conversation around the table with a few people, you're not going to sit there and listen to the one person all the time. There is times where two different sets of people are having two different conversations at the same time. Mm. So no, it's real. It just doesn't happen very often in TV shows. So it's it's. It stood out, but it's very nice to see it. One thing that always stands out to me in sitcoms in particular is when they'll be in the same room, yet they pick and choose when the characters can hear what they're saying. Like, just going behind a kitchen bench, and all of a sudden they can't hear the person that's three feet away from them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. TV whispering. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But anyway, so Lisa's very happy. She's very smug. Mr. Burns has lost all of his money. It's uh, And for good reason. I mean, why was she like the character of Mr. Burns? Everyone hates this guy. And then we get Lenny, who is now in charge of the plant. What a boss. <laughs> Ah, uh, attention, everybody. Uh, work harder. Bye. Then we get Mr. Burns, who is now living with Smithers. And to me, this is a spin-off in the making. Real-life Burns living with Smithers. You know, not like commoner Burns, I guess you could say. Oh, but I guess, you know, once... Yeah, you'd probably get over that uh, that shtick pretty quickly, though, wouldn't you? Him just being a normal guy. Yeah, I don't think that's a TV show. That's an episode or two. Yeah, it's more like a segment in a Treehouse of Horror episode or something like that. You know you know what they needed to do? They needed to do more of those spin-off showcases. Because they, they, they would have been great. Like, I mean, you can still do Treehouse of Horror if you want to, but... I want some spin-offs, something different. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they would have had a lot of good ideas that they never got to wear. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, we, we, sh- we shit on Smithers before about being a terrible assistant, but really, he's still, he's trying to at least help Mr. Burns here because Mr. Burns has literally nowhere else to go. So he's letting him stay with him. And Mr. Burns wants to repay the favor by helping Smithers in return. So he grabs the, the, the big tongs and he tries to move the plate, smashes all the china. Smithers is like, no, 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 just, just leave it, just leave it, please. Like, you can stay here, just don't fucking, just don't touch anything, basically. But Mr. Burns just can't help it. He grabs the shopping list and he wants to get on that bus and... Oh, go off to the food jobber. Yeah, exactly. Grocery store, please. <laughs> <laughs> I am riding the bus. Grocery store, please. I am riding on the bus. Hi, aren't you that guy everybody hates? Oh my, no. I'm Monty Burns. So he arrives at the supermarket and he's looking through all the different cereals and he's trying to find the Burnsos. <laughs> yeah, I now, the cereal thing, I can relate to this hard. I had to buy cereal for Ash's niece and nephew on the weekend and it is tough. There's so many to choose. You wait till you go to the States, my friend, because that's where you'll find a huge variety of different cereals. It's incredible. Like, like character-based cereals, like for kids, there's just so many. It's amazing. <laughs> I've got to tell you that my life will have to take a pretty severe turn of events for me to be buying cereal in the States anytime soon. Aren't you? Oh, no, you're going to Europe, of course. Yeah, I keep thinking you're going to the States for some reason. Yeah, I am. And I'm also probably not going to go to a supermarket <laughs> to buy cereal. Why not? Because I'm on holiday, I want to sample local produce and go to restaurants and cafes, not fucking pour some sugar and milk into a bowl, and I could do that at home. Yeah, but at least you're tasting the local cereal. You can't get back home. It's cereal. <laughs> it's not local stuff. Oh, but see, Nicola and I, we like to make food, or make our lunches. Not, not every day, of course. We, we treat ourselves occasionally, but... We just find that you spend way too much money on food if you're buying your meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like we, we, we're just, you know, we're simple. We're going to a theme park. We'll make our sandwiches. We'll have cereal in the morning and save our money for souvenirs and whatnot for, for our friends and family. Now, okay, so once I've got... I don't buy things often. So when I'm going on holiday, I've budgeted, you know, X amount. It'd be like, say for Europe, it's going to be 
I don't know, best part of 15 grand for a month. And I'm more than happy to come home with nothing left. So, you know, I don't have that issue. You're not going to need 15 grand for a trip, dude. (laughs) That may have included accommodation and stuff like that. But I just, yeah, yeah, not not fifteen grand just in spending money. I was going to say because there's no way that you were going to spend fifteen grand spending money on your trip to Europe. Like not even if you tried to. <laughs> I promise you, I could. Oh yeah, of course you could if you if you wanted to, if you really tried to. But it'd just be stupid to. <laughs> but anyway, so back at the supermarket, Mr. Burns, he's now locked himself in the um, in the fridge. Oh yeah, th- those are dairy cases. They're a death trap. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually quite a nice touch here. Did you notice that he changes colour? Yeah. As he comes out of the freeze, he goes from like blue to yellow again. Yeah. And then it's time for one of the most iconic moments of all time for Mr. Burns. <laughs> ketchup. 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 Oh, I'm in way over my head. He's uh, talking to the ketchup now. Burns is sure acting nutty. Maybe going broke and losing his plants destroyed his brain. Could you come along with us, sir? Are you here to solve my ketchup problem? Yes, that's right. Where, where are you taking me? What's happening? Relax. You've gone off your nut, so we're stuffing you into an old folks' home. Those uh, store guys signed the commitment papers. But I'm shopping. Oh, sorry. That was going to be another alt- alternate name, and I, f- I thought about this earlier, and then I forgot about it. One flew over the cereal aisle. Ah, nice one, nice one. Uh, so then Mr. Burns is getting locked up, and this is great. The two guys in the supermarket are the one that signed the papers to put him in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Homer is... An- this is another scene here. So Homer is drinking... It's another weird one. Homer is drinking all this beer for Lisa. Mm-hmm. Don't you just think it's... A, impractical for Lisa to be doing this because she's going to be making fuck all money from it and B, very irresponsible that she's making her father drink himself stupid for a few cents, essentially. Oh, yeah, massively. But she doesn't... She's not old enough to realise that. And... Well, she is. I mean, how intelligent can they make this eight-year-old character? Yeah, true. I mean, like, she, like she's old enough to, to start a recycling revolution in Springfield, but she's not old enough to understand that she's going to cause her father brain damage by making him drink himself silly for a few cents. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, don't we get like five cents a can in Australia or something like that? Oh, uh, it's ten in Adelaide, I think. Oh, really? See, I thought it used to be five. I've actually got a can right here. Hang on, I'm going to try and find what it says in, in for Australia. Continue. What were you going to say? I was just going to say I like that Homer... Is, sorry, you may have just heard Murphy bark in the background there. I like that Homer is trying to help. That, you know, he, he, he understands it's for a good cause. And I also like that for the first time, you see Homer not want to drink beer. You know, one thing I've noticed recently is that Homer as a character... He hasn't had much to do with the story of the episodes recently. He's just sort of been a side character. No, he hasn't in the last few. He's just he's slipped into the background to just um, provide some funny three or four times an episode. That's odd to me because I always saw the show as Bart's show, which then transitions into Homer's show, when really, season eight, it's almost been the, 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 the season of the sub-characters, hasn't it? Yeah, there's a lot more spread and diversity in who's actually driving the episodes. That's the activity room. We're not allowed in there. That's the library. Not allowed in there either. And don't even think about going in the game room. Hey, Gadman, how are we supposed to pass the time? Best bet is to stake yourself out a good spot at the staring window. Now, this next scene, I've got this in my notes. This is one of my other favorite moments. It's no one, It's not actually him saying anything. It's just the stare that Mr. Burns gives to the line dance teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Mr. Burns. Get into the spirit of it. Just 
that yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's the spirit. <laughs> it's it's much the same stare that I give whenever I'm asked to dance to bad music. The nutbush. Oh, yes, absolutely the nutbush. No, no, no. I can see you being a nutbush fiend at a wedding. No, I don't even know how it works. Oh, don't lie. We all know how the nutbush works, Mitch. No, I genuinely, I genuinely don't know it. Oh, well, that's going to be our next Patreon video, me teaching you how to uh, do the nutbush. Nope. <laughs> no, it won't happen. Dando will try and Mitch will stare like Burns. That'll be the video. <laughs> you, the troublemaking girl. My name is Lisa, Mr. Burns. Lisa Simpson. It doesn't matter what your name is, you idiot. What I want to know is, will you help me get my money back? Ha, huh, I'd never help you. You're the worst man in the world. Yes, that's the kind of moxie I'm looking for. You're hired. No, I'm not. It makes perfect sense here why Lisa wouldn't want to join Mr. Burns because this is the guy that almost destroyed the town just a couple of seasons ago. He's he's a supervillain. He is a real-life supervillain in the town of Springfield. <laughs> the next thing we get is the uh, the please montage, which is, is great, the different scenarios, and just the delivery of the please. Yeah, which is a takeoff of a TV show, TV series called That Girl. Okay, what is That Girl? It's an American sitcom that ran from 66 to 71. It starred Marlo Thomas as the title character, Anne-Marie, an aspiring but only sporadically employed actress who moves from her home of Brewster, New York, to try to make it big in New York City. The Simpsons writers, they love referencing shit from their own childhood, don't they? A lot of the references are shit from many, many years ago. Yeah, which is what you do in comedy a lot of the time. And I guess it's also a beneficial thing for younger viewers because it entices you and makes you want to go out and research and find out exactly what is this referencing because you know it must be something. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Like, so there are certainly times where it does. I mean, like, like, like we say, even as we get older, especially now we're doing these reviews, certain things like that, we think, well, what is that? And we really want to go back and find out what are they referencing there? You, you, yeah. The more you watch them, the more you could take the episodes, you can sort of pick up that's something. That's going to be a reference to something, you know? I mean, not that the knowledge of that girl is going to be helping us anytime soon in the future, but still, it's cool to know that they're referencing something there. No, it's not. They also use the theme from that girl in this montage, by the way. But the difficult thing about it, I mean, it's a bit easier with internet now, but for a long time, you'd see that and you'd go, well, this feels weird and it feels like it's something, but there was no way to actually find out what it was. I used to find that infuriating, to be perfectly honest, when I knew they were parodying something and I had no idea what. That's a very good point. I guess maybe it's also a way of... You know, separating, the, dividing the viewers from the, the real pop culture nerds to just the nuffness. <laughs> I don't think it's about separation. I think it's just that they're doing it for them more than anything. Yeah, of course, yeah. They, they, they wrote the show for themselves, and if everyone else liked it, then that was just a benefit. <laughs> but next up, we have my favourite moment from the whole episode. Sir, we've never met before, but my name is Mr. Burns, and I want your daughter to help make me rich again. You mean Maggie? Ah, the baby who shot me. No, I was referring to your other daughter. So, Mr. Burns has finally convinced Lisa to join the team. And she's they're walking along the beach. She's uh, trying to teach Mr. Burns, yep. you know, recycling. You're not going to make much money, but it's, it's not about the money. It's about helping the environment and helping the animals. And Mr. Burns is like, ah, bah, 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 don't you worry. You can do a lot of things with a nickel. Each can will get you a nickel. No, don't poo-poo a nickel, Lisa. A nickel will buy you a steak and kidney pie, a cup of coffee, a slice of cheesecake, and a newsreel. With enough change left over to ride the trolley from Battery Park to the polo grounds. There's a can. What this scene here highlights is that their two ideologies are so different, even though they're on the same team now. Is Lisa, she wants to use recycling for good. Mr. Burns wants to use recycling to make money and rebuild his empire. Yeah, I do like that you do see a little bit of Burns, the savvy businessman, in that he gets his first, you know, nickel. If, uh, if, then 
purloins that in it with a nail, which he then uses to triple his productivity with the cans, and then he makes his first dollar. Like, it's it's a kind of cool rags-to-riches way of building yourself up from the bottom. Yeah, it's a good point. Like, Mr. Burns is actually a pretty good businessman when he wants to be. Like, it is a good story, just seeing him rebuild himself from nothing. But uh, what I also like here in, in this episode is that Mr. Burns... Whilst what he's doing, we know and see, like we think it's just incredibly evil and it's horrible, like he's killing all these creatures. In his twisted evil mind, he doesn't understand what he's doing wrong. He's thinking that he's just recycling. Like he doesn't get why Lisa's annoyed. He's like, what, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just recycling these creatures. But any normal humane person can see that you, you don't recycle living things. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly right. That's that, that doesn't need to be explained to most people. But... I'm sure there would also be a lot of people, uh, arseholes, let's call them, that would see a point in what he said. Like, well, yeah, you know, the dynamiters do need dynamite. It's got to come from somewhere. Got to nuke something. Actually, you know what? That would be a good episode. Nelson is the protege from Mr. Burns. Uh, yeah, it could be, apart from the fact that Nelson would never work hard. Or maybe if, he, if Nelson got shown how evil can prosper that might make him actually get committed and work hard. Do you think Nelson would be an Anakin Skywalker or a Kylo? Uh, I reckon he'd be Kylo. You reckon? Oh, no, I reckon if Nelson was given the power and control, I reckon he'd be a badass. I reckon he'd be, like, super evil, you know? But Kylo was evil. Yeah, but he's not terrifying like Anakin. When was Anakin terrifying? Anakin just looked off into the middle distance. Sorry, I'm referring to Anakin once he's become Darth Vader, so Vader. Oh, okay. So for the the tw- so for the 20 minutes of that trilogy where he actually does something. No, no, no. Okay, I've said it wrong. I mean Vader. Like, I mean Anakin Skywalker, because Anakin Skywalker is Vader. Or as Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah, as okay. Darth Vader. Well, then call him Darth Vader, because you, <laughs> An- you say Anakin, and I think Hayden Christensen... <laughs> Killing younglings and then getting his legs chopped off. That's all that happens. I hate sand. <laughs> I, I mean, look, Nelson would be a Darth Vader is what I meant. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. all right. Nelson would be Darth Vader. And Burns would be Emperor Palpatine. He really... He, that'd be great. He'd be... The, the Simpsons should have done a Star Wars ripoff. I know Family Guy have done it, but the, the Simpsons... I really wish they had done one as well. I don't think so. I think because Family Guy have done it, it's... It makes like, it harder, it doesn't just, it? Yeah, it'd be... And it'd smack of copying other people if you did it now. The thing is, though, like uh, not everyone, obviously, but most people just forget about Family Guy. I mean, it's still on TV, but it just—it's just—it dropped off so quickly. Like, it, it doesn't have a, a really long-standing legacy at all. Family Guy. Ah, uh, well, you and I forget about it, but I, I mean, at work, we can't sell Family Guy merchandise. Like, no one gives a shit about Family Guy, man. Like, would you would you ever go out of your way now to watch Family Guy? Ah, uh, no. If it was on, yes, but I wouldn't make a point of it. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so back to the episode. So, what's the, he's made his first dollar, hasn't he, Mister Burns? Uh, yes, he's made his first dollar and gives Lisa her ten percent. It's the sort of this is where they plant that she gets a ten percent cut as his advisor. Well, Lisa, as my advisor, you're entitled to ten percent. Oh, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm just happy knowing that future generations will enjoy unspoiled median strips and pristine highway embankments. There's a can. The family and then watching the Brockman report on the news of Mr. Burns. The, everything about this is just fantastic. Even like Homer when he's watching the report. So it's the, it's obviously Mr. Burns who Brockman's describing. It, please be Flanders. Please be Flanders. Please be Flanders. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know what? That, that actually reminded me of the, um, the scene from the Simpsons movie where Ned's like, I've got something to announce. And Homer's like, gay, 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 gay. It reminded me just like of that moment there. 
And from our It's Funny When It Happens to Them file, remember millionaire C. Montgomery Burns? The man who blocked out our son, ran over a local boy, and stole Christmas from 1981 to 1985? Well, guess who's flat broke and picking up trash for a living? Please be Flanders, please be Flanders, please be Flanders. Excuse me, Mr. Burns. Now that you're completely ruined, how do you feel? Excellent. I'm on my way back to the top. I've turned these cans into can-do. Well, you smell terrible. Good luck to you, sir. Wow, he went from stinking rich to just plain stinking. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Mom. Oh, you're so bad, honey. You guys shouldn't laugh at him. Mr. Burns has changed. He's different now. Yeah, he's broke. <laughs> <laughs> in a row. It was nice to see Marge get some quips in here, wasn't it? Oh, Marge, you're so bad. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I like to think that... It, it makes me happy to think that she's got some quips in here, but I like to think that... She regularly gets some quips in. We just don't see it. It would be nice, actually, yeah. I mean, she's got to do something. Yeah, yeah. And Lisa here starts defending Mr. Burns, which, before watching this episode, that's something you never thought you were ever going to see. No, because she has seen the better side of him and has yet to see the evil side come back out. Mr. Burns is then at the retirement castle, because he's still in there, still living in there, and he has all the old folks running. He's got his own recycling company going now. All the old folks are going through the recycling for him. And Lisa tells me, you know, you got, you got to be nice to him to get him motivated. Hurry up, you guys. If you if you meet the quota, I'll take you to the most duck-filled pond you've ever been to. <laughs> Hot diggity. That's how they got me to vote for Lyndon LaRouche. Next up was the, the, the gloating scene that you mentioned. There's not really... Let's not bother going into that. We've already discussed it. Next is time for the grand opening of the Little Lisa recycling plant. The only negative about this is it sort of annoys me that it, the the plant was never mentioned in the show again. It's never referenced once after this episode's finished. Uh, well, it gets sold off, so why would it be? Well, it's still there though, isn't it? I mean, they they, they bought the plant, but would they rebrand it? Would they, wouldn't they just leave it as Little Lisa? It's it's a plant. It's a brand now. Well, I'd assume they changed the name. If yeah, if they if they bought the rights to it. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe anyway. So it's time then for Mr. Burns to give Lisa the first tour of the plant. And look, Lisa's right into this. And why wouldn't she be? She loves the environment and she's now yeah. the face of a recycling plant. Yeah. And her face is all over it. Like, it's actually a really flattering thing until she finds out how evil and awful it is. Barney's then licking the windows. And this is another another one of those scenes that just felt like filler to me. I just, I just never really understood the point of it all. It's just, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just, it's just there. A little bit. I still thought it was kind of funny, and this was this one of the other moments I was talking about with the how Barney gets the door, the window shut on him, where he's like, "I woke up this morning and I said to myself, Barney, don't you lick Mr. Burns's windows, Bob." And then he sort of trails off as the window is closed, and Burns just starts talking over him, and they continue on in their walk. Great delivery there from Yardley with the "Oh dear God." Yeah, that that reading there sounds exactly like Yardi in her podcast, uh, Small Town Dicks, which is a true crime podcast. And wait, Yardley has a podcast? Yeah, she does. It's quite uh, if you're into true crime stuff, it's quite good. And but yeah, like her voice is just Lisa's voice, slightly changed, and or Lisa's voice is just her voice slightly changed. So often it's just like Lisa Simpson is talking you through these small small town crimes that have occurred but when they're reacting to horrific details it would be that like oh dear god oh wow i'm gonna have to check that out this weekend you know what? another podcast i've been wanting to check out everyone keeps telling me about it is the new conan o'brien show oh conan o'brien and friends yeah i've added that to my rotation but haven't yet listened to anything mm, yeah I, I can't wait to check it out uh now the next scene here for me the best part about it was how it was drawn so for most of this episode mr burns and lisa have been treated like equals but here 
they feel like they're miles apart in the sense that Lisa looks like this small little child who's scared in the corner. Mr. Burns, he's just walking up to her, but he's drawn in a way where it looks like he's towering over her. He's now no longer you know, her business partner. He's this evil tyrant who's just feels bigger all of a sudden. He's this big evil monster, you know, in the, in the shadowing and everything. I, I just thought it looked great. Yeah, it did. It really sold the fact that he'd got his power and his evil mojo back. Yeah, and, and there's nothing Lisa can do about it. No, he's in... He, yeah, he's in the driver's seat of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Lisa, she she runs outside and she runs in the street and she's telling everyone to stop recycling. But you told us to recycle. See, that that there, the way they were speaking, it's always just felt weird to me. Oh, is it like... Well, this is a parody of two different movies in one. Ah, it is a reference. Okay, so what what things is it referencing? Uh, Soylent Green, for one. So um, that's like, you know, the realisation that Soylent... In the movie, Soylent Green is people, but this is Lisa realising that this stuff is evil. Oh, wait, is the Body Snatchers movie the other one? Yes, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers is the other part of it. Yes, that makes much more sense now. Okay, cool. And, and yeah, and the music. Yeah, it's just... How would you describe that music? It's just like losing your mind, I guess. It's just... It epitomises just losing your insanity. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I honestly don't know what word, uh, other than that, like the sound of sanity slipping away. Then Lisa's back home and she's just frustrated and annoyed, more so at herself that she got, she allowed herself to get sucked in. She, she believed Mr. Burns, she thought he'd changed, but nope, he was still the same evil guy he always has been. Then we get home as, hope you learned your lesson, Lisa, never help anybody. (laughs) (laughs) And Mr. Burns then arrives and what they do here is they explain why Homer is home. Because it's during, during a work day. So it makes no sense for Homer to be home, but he needed to be here for the for the final gag where he passes out. So they give a little bit of an explanation of why he's there. It's a really funny joke. I think if they didn't have a funny reason, they would have just left it. But yeah. It's just, but I can't remember what I did, so now I'm just watching TV. And this is where Mr. Burns offers the 10% to Lisa. Now, before we get to the great ending, Lisa ripping up the, the money. To me, it's always annoyed me. I know it's just a cartoon. You shouldn't be bothered by it. But for me, wouldn't it make more sense for the character of Lisa to take the money and then use it for good? You know, helping kids or helping animals or just helping the environment, helping something with the money. Yeah, but in her eyes, no matter what she did with it, by taking it, she'd become as bad as Burns. She still she still has profited from the death of those animals if she takes the money, no matter what she does with it. Yeah, I hear you, but still, I think if I was in that situation, you're, still, you're going to take the money and then pump it back into something good. I, I think I'll just have, you just have to suck it up for the greater good and make sure that the evil guy doesn't get all of the money. At least some of it's going to good. Look, if I was in that situation, I'd kill more animals if that was what was required. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously though, this ending, it's got to be one of the greatest endings of all time, right? Funny, like it's just so funny. Homer just collapsing on the floor and you just catch the animation on his face as he goes down as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe I'm looking into it. Maybe I'm crazy, but I swear you hear like two thuds. I've always liked to think it's like his, his head hitting the couch on the way down just for added effect. It uh, uh, could be. I thought it was like coccyx hitting the ground and then head hitting the ground. Oh, possibly. Whatever. I just, I don't know. regardless, it's an amazing, amazing moment. <laughs> and the fact that he passed out thinking it was just 12,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the first case I've ever seen of a man suffering four simultaneous heart attacks. I'm sorry, Dad. It's all right. I understand. But we really could have used that $12,000. Um, Dad, 10% of $120 million isn't $12,000. It's... Code blue. Code blue. 
I always remember watching that ending with my dad. I can remember being in, in Atlanta back in Donnelly Avenue, Norlane, which is just, you know, low class suburb of Geelong. But I remember sitting there watching it with my dad, and my dad just being in tears of laughter. And that's why I think I always have such a, a fond memory of this episode, because it reminds me of what I can remember watching it with my dad as a kid. It's just, I, I love it when The Simpsons can remind me of great moments from my childhood like that. Just bring back happy memories. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's just a fantastic episode. It's, it's not one that, yeah. It's like an underrated gem, really, because it's not one you see in many top 10 lists. And I guess it's not a top 10 best of all time, but it's an episode that you can put on. And no matter how many times you've seen it, you're going to get a laugh out of it. It's it's great. It's just a really great episode. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, a couple late suggestions for alternate titles that I've enjoyed. Kristen Nell, Don't Slurry, Be Happy. Michael Boyd, Slurry with Love. And Mark Sam, No Catsup for Old Men. Oh, you would have been a big fan of that one, wouldn't you? <laughs> I was all over that one, yeah. What did we learn, Palmer? So what did you learn from the episode, Mitchell? Uh, I learned that you can indeed profit from the suffering of others. I learned that Elliot is the final nail in the coffin of me ever being a successful businessman. Well, you don't have religion. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, got one of the boxes ticked at least. Yeah, yeah. What was it? What did we say it was? Family, family, friendship, friendship. And religion. Yeah. So you're two out of the three. You're nearly screwed. Jamal, Jamal is here. Ooh. Mailbag time, Mitchell. What do you got for me this week? Uh, what I've got. Uh, Ashley Gilbert writes in from uh, Perth, Western Australia. He said, or he or she, I'm not entirely sure. It's, you know, Ashley could go either way, but I'm going to assume this is a he. Now, he says it's sunny Perth, Western Australia, which I think is a bit presumptuous because who knows, it might be raining at the time that we are reading to this, uh, listening to this. Anyway, he says that he's one of the slowest Simpsons fans out there and have only recently started listening to us within the last couple of months, but congratulations on making it the best podcast he listens to one episode per day. He, thank you very much. He's been doing it strategically, he says, whereas listening to the latest releases, like sort of listening to the latest release and then going back to season one and, and filling in. So I guess he's getting six old, one new each week. I think that'd be really jarring listening to us from the first season and then straight away listening to us now. I think the, the, the show, like our show is so different. It's changed so much. Well, you were a woman when we started and didn't managed to that. keep that under wraps, which was most most progressive. <laughs> so what's the question? Uh, I don't know if he has one. Um, he does... Uh, sorry, I'm reading the email as we go. He says that uh, he has... He or she, well, this is where I think it's a he, and I might be profiling a little bit, but he says that he has five barbecues with which he cooks brisket and pork ribs. Well, you're a sexist now if you think it's a woman, because oh, of course it's a woman, she's cooking. No, I'm sexist by assuming it's a man, because of course he'd be running the barbecue. Oh, goodness. All right. I don't normally interrupt the podcast. The TV's on in the background. Mitch Stark has just bowled the ball of the summer to have India one for none in the fourth innings at Perth. Oh, really? Fuck, I've only got one Foxtel, working Foxtel remote at the moment. It's out in the land. I'm not going to be able to watch it. God damn it. Oh, see, see what I mean? Look, I wasn't interested in cricket six months ago. Now I actually care. Anyway, oh well. <laughs> On replay, the book was not quite as good. But uh, since listening to the podcast, I've been doing a Top Gear style leaderboard for all the episodes and thought some of you listeners would be interested. I've attached a spreadsheet with the episode and the people can play, alone with their own, uh, play along with their own personalized rating system. Uh, we're in Victoria usually once per year. I'll hit you guys up for a beer and try to get to the Cattery for a Geelong Eagles game. All right, so here is his Simpsons episode guide. So episodes are ranked out of 10. He's been ranking it. He's ranked it up to season five. Let's go. All right, so Cape Fear is at a 9.45. Homer's Barbershop Quartet, 9.39. That's some of the better ones. Let's have a look at what the lowest ranked episode is that I can see. 
Homer's Odyssey at 5.5. There's no disgrace like home at 5.8. We wouldn't have an argument with that. There's no disgrace like home is, in my opinion, the worst episode of all time. In, of the golden era. Of the golden era. Old Money, he gives a 5.6. I like Old Money. He's got a real nice emotional story to it. That's the one with B, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, with B. Treehouse of Horror 8, a 5.4. And Treehouse of Horror 3 was also a low number. Clearly, Ash, not a fan of the Treehouse of Horrors. Yes, yeah, I, I don't know. I, see, I've always felt that Treehouse of Horror 3 is one of the weaker ones of the, tri- of the Treehouse of Horror episodes. That's the one with the three dream uh, uh, hmm. segments with the monkey paw and whatnot. Yeah, I've just never... Dolls Leaf for Zombies is pretty good. It's got, a, it's got its moments. But I've never really been, as an overall episode, it's probably one of the weaker Treehouse of Horrors for me. Okay, so two questions, Ash. One, can I just confirm that this is a ranking of the actual Simpsons episodes and not of the episodes of the podcast? And two, how did you organise your system? Uh, Right back in, and we'll continue that. So that's a rare mailbag where it's actually ended with me asking a question, not a listener. Yeah, that's true. I actually had a question from a guy at work. He's a listener of the show, Dave. He he wanted me to ask you... Which post-season 10 episode, like post-Golden Era episode, do you think could slot straight into into the Golden Era? Now, I want to say like maybe like post-season like 11, 12 as well. Like let's go a little bit later, even like season 13 onwards. And which episode do you think would, would slot in there? Uh, okay, well, I'm going to look up some episode lists. Why don't you give me your idea and your answer first and just buy me some time? Now, I may be wrong because this may be earlier than I think, but I'm pretty sure Homer comes after season 12. I could be wrong though, but... Homer, yeah. it's the episode where Homer becomes really intelligent. So they find the crown in yeah. Homer's brain. I don't want to give away too much. I, you've probably all seen it, the ones listening anyway. It's a really solid story. It's, I mean, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's really heartwarming. It's funny. It's got its silly aspects like the crown being in Homer's brain and whatnot and shoving it back up there to make himself stupid again. But the ending with, the, with Homer writing the note to Lisa before he makes himself dumb again, that's a beautiful moment. That's like almost on par with You Are Lisa Simpson. It's really, really good. Homer, if you haven't seen it, H-O-M-R, go out yeah, and watch I've seen it. That one. It's one of the most, it's one of my favorite episodes of all time. I really, really enjoy it. It's actually season 12. Oh, was it really? Season 12? Shit. Okay. Yeah, I thought it might have been yeah. a bit earlier, but still, Homer, like that, that's not really considered in the golden era. Yeah. Season 12 is not considered golden era. That's one for me. That's a really good episode. Also, Trilogy of Error is another one you should go out and check out. It's an incredible one. And an episode we're going to be reviewing for the patrons, Mitch, Holidays of Future Past. Yeah, the only thing about Holidays of Future Past is it's just not as many really laugh-out-loud moments. as. But certainly in terms of tone, it could fit in an early episode, in the early seasons comfortably. Yeah, we'll get more into it when we do our review for that, which is going to be available this week. On the Four Finger Discount Patreon page, patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscount. Thank you to uh, Dylan Haggett for that, by the way, who was a $100 patron subscriber and is getting this episode by request. Yes. Yep, yep. Uh, final email from the mailbag this week is a My Two Cents story from Grant Smith. <laughs> what I like is I assume that... I don't know if he got confused about where the subject line is supposed to go, but the first sentence of the email just says, My friend's grandmother. <laughs> Hey guys, I have a my two cents story for you. When I was a f- uh, when my friend was younger, he used to have to go food shopping with his grandmother. When they would go out with his grandmother, they would look for a tin of food that was either uh, oh this old classic either had a dent or a bash on it, and she would get my friend to go up and ask the manager how much money they could get uh, off the tins as they were bashed. She would only ever get a couple pence off. She would also pick up the tins that didn't have labels on them, 
uh, and she would get money off because there was no label, and because of that, you wouldn't know what was in the tin. So it was basically she's getting mystery tins. But how can they charge you anything if they don't actually know what's in the can? It's a really good question. I presume back in the day, there was a lot more haggling. Back in the back, day? Back, back in the 40s, there was a lot more haggling that went on in uh, in the supermarket. Oh, but don't forget, a nickel can get you quite a few things back in those days, Mitch. Well, could have, yeah. Have you ever had that really boring conversation with the old man where he's just like, you know, back in my day, five cents could get you a piece of flake and a few chips and a couple of dimmies at the fish and chip shop? Yeah, I have. Yeah. And I explain how inflation works and and wage growth and, you know, and, and just say, and frankly, it's a boring conversation to have. Yeah, no things are going up in price now, Dad, but so is your wage. <laughs> yeah. You know what I enjoy is, although inflation has outstripped wage growth in many areas just yeah, of course, but yeah. um what what i really enjoy doing is on petrol cycles so like when the petrol goes up 20 or 30 cents at the beginning of a new cycle to wander around after you've if you'd filled up the day before and proudly tell people you know back in my day i was able to fill my tank at a dollar 27 you know i actually uh remember when petrol hit a dollar for the first time in australia it was like the world was over <laughs> Oh, it was chaos. Yeah, there were news reports. People were driving off on petrol stations. No one had any idea how it was going to be paid. Now, if it's at a dollar thirty, I'm like, oh, petrol's quite low this week. I better fill up. <laughs> exactly right. But thank you for writing in, guys. And make sure because the mailbag's been a bit light for the last week or so, last couple of weeks. So don't forget to send your emails into mailbag at fourfingerdiscount.com.au and make sure you put question in the subject line as how we filter what are the real questions and what's just the spam. We'd love to hear from you guys. You don't even have to send through a question or a My Two Cents story. Just send through a message to us. We read every single email that comes through. We may not get to answering every single one of them. I do hope that one day we... I've got an idea. This is what we do here on the Four Finger Discount Podcast. No, Dando this fi- isn't going to happen. We've got a really busy recording schedule <laughs> over the next three weeks. Don't even finish your sentence. Fucking uh. madman. <laughs> I tell you, I'll say what you can do. Send in some questions for our wives. Yes, that's a good idea. We've got the Christmas special coming out. We're going to be recording it this Sunday afternoon, yep. Australia time, in the afternoon. So get your questions in by our time at 12, about 12 o'clock. That's when we're going to start recording it. And yeah, if you've got a question for Nicola or Ash, send it through. If you've got a question for Elliot, I'm sure he'll be more than obliged to uh, give it a crack anyway. But anyway, so guys, I hope you enjoyed our review of The Old Man and the Lisa. And I just want to say a big thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in each and every week to the show. Uh, the show would not be here without you. You guys are the, the backbone of the podcast. Thank you for all of your support throughout 2018. I love each and every one of you. I mean, I, I mean it. From the bottom of my heart, you guys mean the world to me. Thank you so much for your support. I simply cannot believe that I'm able to have the privilege of being able to talk about The Simpsons and the fact that you guys care enough to listen. You guys are amazing. Absolutely, like I said, love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And don't forget, next week we're going to be doing a Christmas special as opposed to a review. So make sure you tune into that. Just something cool to listen to on Christmas morning. But until then, Mitch, any final words for the listeners? Uh, I was just going to say, remember the three R's of recycling, which is... um uh, reuse, reduce, and rape the oceans. Shh.